From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. This week, the federal government faced anger, outrage and criticism over its response to the catastrophic floods in Queensland and New South Wales. And the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is facing another related problem, disquiet within his own ranks about his leadership. Today, columnist for the Saturday paper, Paul Bongiorno, on how precarious the Prime Minister's position might be. It's Friday, March 11. So, Paul, I know that you've been talking to members of the coalition this week and that the topic of Scott Morrison's leadership has come up. And I just want to say that this is quite a difficult thing for us to talk about and to report on because you can't give too much air to anonymous leaks, to politicians who might want to undermine a leader without actually putting their names to it. So with that in mind, what do you think that we should know about what's being said about Scott Morrison within his own party right now? Well, Ruby, I think uh, we're entitled to know that it's not just people talking. It's not off-the-record disgruntled MPs saying they're unhappy and they'd like a change of leader. I can confirm that a senior member of the government, a minister, no less, in Scott Morrison's cabinet has been contacting like-minded colleagues by email to arrange meetings where they can discuss what's seen as a crisis with Morrison's leadership. One recipient told me, and I quote, the last time this happened, the leader was toppled. Right. Okay. So that's obviously a reference to the former Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull. Well, the MP didn't nominate whether it was Turnbull or Tony Abbott, but the emails are going out, organising before the next party room get-together, which will be at the end of the month for the budget. And this could be a potential killing field for the Prime Minister. As my source says, this is exactly what happens before a coup. Numbers are marshaled, the waters are tested. Both the Morrison and Dutton camps did this before the move on Malcolm Turnbull. And as we know, Morrison's people proved better at these dark arts. Well, I have to tell you, this isn't a done deal as I understand it. But one Liberal MP says, and I quote, anything could happen, stay tuned. Mm. So are we really back here again, Paul, in this position where leaders can be knifed without warning? Are we are we in the killing season? Well, I must say it looks and sounds like it, Ruby. I spoke to a senior Liberal backbencher from New South Wales, Morrison's home state, who told me that basically Peter Dutton was a better option. And the quote there was, Dutts would save the furniture. Uh, others, particularly in Victoria, strongly disagree. Their preferred candidate would be Josh Frydenberg, who is, of course, one of their own, and in their view, with a more user-friendly image. OK, but obviously neither Peter Dutton or Josh Frydenberg are actually saying that they would challenge for the leadership poll. Well, that's right, Ruby. Though the consensus is Peter Dutton is more enthusiastic, he was around this week in the media trying to reset his image. Peter Dutton, where are the troops? Uh, morning, Koshi. Uh, well, they're spanning out right across northern New South Wales. The Defence Minister went on sunrise for what proved to be a tough interview that had him on the back foot. God help us, if we were going to war, we wouldn't stand a chance if it took this long to get ourselves organised. What's going on? 
Why aren't they there quicker? Uh, well, Koshi, there's... Well, well Koshi, uh, if you're on the ground, you'd be able to see them. There are 760 people. Uh, the, the images that you've seen... We want 5,000. ...of trucks of troops rolling in, uh, well, we're, we're providing uh, thousands more and... The interview was set up to counter the argument that the government's response to the floods was late, especially in mobilising the army. Ordinary Australians are having to get themselves to remote areas in their dinghies, wading through floodwaters to help people to take them food and to make sure they're all right. No, Koshi, I mean, that's the Australian spirit. Uh, that's what you and I would do for our neighbours. Absolutely. It's what and people do We in want extremists. the ADF to do that for so, us as no, well. I'm not, I'm, not embarrassed, but I'm not embarrassed by that. And the ADF... Well, as for Frydenberg, he says he wants the job one day, but not yet. He says he's loyal to the Prime Minister. And my colleague Karen Middleton, you might remember, reported in the Saturday paper a few weeks ago there are people in the party actively pushing for Frydenberg to run, if only to make sure they don't end up with Peter Dutton as leader. And is that because they think that Peter Dutton would cost them seats because he's seen as too tough and as unpopular with voters? Well, that's true, Ruby. There's polling being shared that puts Dutton right down the bottom as preferred candidate with the public. And there's a strong view that in Victoria and elsewhere, he would see them lose seats. The logic is pretty simple. Dutton might be popular in Queensland or parts of Queensland, but they can't really win any more seats in that state. And he would almost certainly cost them seats elsewhere. But you know, Ruby, the point of all of this is we are dealing with desperation. That's the mindset. We'll be back in a moment. Need a reminder of what political leadership looks like? Australia's master of political satire, Jonathan Biggins, is back embodying the iconic Paul Keating, visionary, reformer and rabble-rouser. Due to overwhelming demand, one-man comedy The Gospel According to Paul is returning to the Opera House, on from the 4th to 23rd of June for its final term ever. Secure your tickets now at sydneyoperahouse.com for an unforgettable evening. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for. Please, <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very if that's, pro-therapy. On yeah, this. yeah, if that's, no, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Paul, we've been talking about the tension around the Liberal leadership, but I do want to go back to the beginning of this week, because it has been another huge news week, Paul, with all the catastrophic flooding on the East Coast. A lot has happened. So how did it all begin for Scott Morrison? Well, to kick off the week, the government was shopping a story designed to generate national security headlines. And they think this area is definitely a winner for them. Today, I can announce that the government has decided to establish a future submarine base on the East Coast of Australia as well. To support basing and dis- On Monday, there was the promise of a $10 billion East Coast nuclear submarine base to be built sometime in the next 20 years. Establishing a second submarine base on our East Coast will enhance our strategic deterrent capability with significant advantages in operational, training, personnel 
Well, appearing on Radio 2GB that morning, Morrison could have expected to start off with questions about what he thought was a big announcement. Classic, popular, conservative stuff. Prime Minister Scott Morrison joins us live on the line. PM, good morning to you. Good morning, Ben. Instead, the interview was all about the event that really immediately mattered to people, the unprecedented floods in eastern Australia. It's 2022. We're not a third world country. Uh, How do we still have entire communities cut off and stranded? Well, Ben, these are terrible, terrible floods, as you've said. These are floods that... The first question was pointedly hostile, relating to the 14-metre flood that destroyed Lismore and devastated other northern New South Wales communities. I appreciate that these responsibilities are shared between the Commonwealth and the state and also local government, but I'll tell you what, PM, they're still crying out for help. Well, I know, Ben, and that's why the effort continues. I mean, specifically, food drops were were done in Mullumbimby by the ADF um, within the past 24 hours. And then the interview quickly moved to the tardy deployment of the military to supplement an inadequate state emergency services response. But over 100 lives were directly, have already been directly saved by the efforts of the ADF, literally winching people to safety, um, as have the brave efforts of so many in the SES. It was a reminder again, Ruby, that what Morrison thinks will work is not working. Events keep running ahead of him and he doesn't always play convincing catch-up. Yeah, OK, so let's talk then about the federal government's response to the floods. What have they announced and how is that going? Well, in a word, it's a mess. The PM went to Lismore midweek, made a big announcement on extra relief for victims. So the Commonwealth has responded, a billion dollars in what would call, I would call what is the expected normal response to a natural disaster. But we must go further. The uh, Commonwealth disaster payments that we've paid around the country now total some $385 million. But he left out thousands of people who are homeless and with nothing in other parts of the state. Then it's emerged that the $4 billion emergency relief fund, set up three years ago with the promise to spend $200 million a year from the interest earned on mitigation and relief measures, well, despite earning in that period almost a billion dollars in interest, since then, nothing has been spent. Not a cent. Right, so the money's just sitting there, Paul. Well, sort of, Ruby. The Government set up this fund after the Black Summer fires, but true to form, it seems they simply didn't believe the extreme events would recur so quickly. They've never seriously heeded the science anyway. I think he's going to have to explain to people why didn't his government make use of that fund at any point over the last three years uh, to put in place the kind of flood mitigation measures that might have made a real difference here. As Labor's emergency services spokesman Murray Watt points out, there's no doubt that had some of that money been deployed already, it could have made a huge difference, not only to Lismore, where 2,000 homes have been destroyed, but elsewhere in the badly devastated parts of the nation. He said he didn't have the powers, he had to wait on the states, and then he made a big noise about giving himself the power to declare a national emergency. He should do that today. He should declare a formal national emergency and make use of the powers that he gave himself after the bushfires. He made a big what called on Morrison to declare a national emergency, and with it to use the powers Parliament gave him after the 2019-20 bushfires to expedite the recovery. Well, the Prime Minister, two weeks after the disaster, finally rose to the challenge, announcing such an emergency 
on his first foray to Lismore after a week-long COVID-19 isolation. With not a warm reception, but a hot one waiting out front... Scott Morrison has driven past protesters to a rear entrance of the Lismore Council building. To be well, he was greeted by protesters, some carrying signs, the water is rising, no more compromising, and chanting, we need help, we need help. The army has been like, you know, when you're doing the dishes, they're like the kids that go to the toilet and they come out when the dishes are done. We'll see them when everyone else has done the heavy lifting. We need more help. We need- Seeing those protesters, Paul, you can't help but be reminded of the last natural disaster, which is the the Black Summer bushfires, obviously, and the images that we saw then of Scott Morrison in the disaster area forcing hostile people to shake hands with him. So what is he doing to try and get a handle on the situation this time? Ruby, he seems to be attempting to drag the conversation back to his preferred turf, which is national security and the economy. At a business speech on Tuesday... Morrison was defiant in seeking to paint Labor as high taxing. He went through all the old motions. He vowed he would not increase the GST or introduce a carbon tax. Well, it's an old war cry, but the battle has moved on. And you know, really it is a hollow promise. As we've seen, a disrespected Mother Nature has, in a much more real sense, imposed more than the cost of such a carbon tax on people and the economy. That's the hard reality Morrison needs to face up to and hasn't. Yeah, and the hard reality of climate catastrophe is something that successive leaders have failed to face up to, Paul. But the stakes could not be higher for Scott Morrison right now. He's got an entire country to convince, but it sounds like, from what you've been saying, that he also needs to convince some within his own party too that he has the capacity to be a leader right now. Well, that's true, Ruby. The party got rid of Malcolm Turnbull, the one leader who took the need for climate change action seriously. The coal champions got their revenge for the dumping of their hero, Tony Abbott. But in turning to Scott Morrison, they ended up with a salesman who fails on promised delivery. And the voters have seen through him. This surely is the explanation for the disastrous opinion polls that are spooking Liberal MPs. Paul, thank you so much for your time. No, thank you, Ruby. Bye. Sydney Dance Company explodes on stage with Momenta. This world premiere by acclaimed choreographer Raphael Bonicella is unmissable contemporary dance. Strictly limited season from the 28th of May to the 8th of June. Book now at sydneydancecompany.com. Also in the news today, Ukrainian officials have confirmed that at least 17 people have been wounded after a Russian airstrike hit a children's hospital in the southern city of Mariupol. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky said that children were trapped under the wreckage and called the strike an atrocity. The bombing of Ukrainian cities from Russian forces has prevented the creation of safe corridors for civilians, trapping hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians, leaving them without access to essential supplies such as food, medicine and heat. And thousands of Queensland and New South Wales flood victims will be unable to claim insurance due to fine prints in policies 
according to a new report from the Financial Rights Legal Centre. The news of increased financial hardship facing flood victims comes after the New South Wales shires of Tweed, Byron and Ballina were excluded in the federal government's disaster relief package announced earlier this week. 7am is a daily show from the Monthly and the Saturday Paper. It's produced by Elle Marsh, Cara Jensen-McKinnon, Anu Hasbold and Alex Gow. Our senior producer is Ruby Schwartz and our technical producer is Atticus Basto. Brian Compo mixes the show. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you next week.